Hello, I'm Alex Mansfield, the host of Manny Talk Shooting, and welcome to another episode. This is the shooting podcast where I talk to individuals all across the shooting industry. We'll talk competition, self-defense, concealed carry. If you like this content, check out our YouTube channel, Manny Talk Shooting. And without further ado, let's get to this episode. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of Manny Talk Shooting, the shooting podcast, where I talk to whoever I want to because I can, because I'm free. So it's okay. We'll listen along. It's going to be a good one. Today's show is always sponsored by Go Fast Don't Suck. So go check out Bill at GoFastDon'tSuck.net or Go Fast Don't Suck on Instagram, Facebook. They might even have Twitter. I don't know. I don't Twitter or Twatter. So, hey, it's, it's as it goes. So go and check out, get your memes, your dry fire targets, your merch, whatever you may need. Bill's probably got it. So go over to GoFastDon'tSuck.net and uh, show him some love. Without further ado, let's get to today's guest. You've already met him on a couple weeks back, but it's going to be good. We've got Mr. John Batista on the show. How are you doing, John? Doing fantastic. Over here in Cali. Yep, little, little California. Your own little piece of heaven, right? Or hell, as you know, if you look at it from a different perspective, you'd be heaven and hell. Yeah, you never know. I mean, it's always warm, so you don't have to worry about getting cold. You can shoot all year round. Criminals run free in a muck. You know, yep. it's kind of a give and take, kind of a give and take kind of state. Yeah, exactly. So for anybody who actually doesn't know who you are, who is John Batista and how did you get shooting? Oh boy. Who is John Batista? I am a random middle of the nowhere nobody accountant who somehow decided to pick up competitive shooting from a buddy of mine in college. Uh that same friend I randomly hooked up with uh, someone not as more of CCW USA in more of the California SoCal area who does um, CCW training classes, certifications. Got hooked up with him and then it kind of spiraled downhill from there. Went to a, went to the range with them on one random Saturday. Told me I need to bring a, a vest or some long shirt for concealed shooting and shot IDPA. And that kind of started that whole shenanigans of where I am now. So they tricked you into shooting IDPA. Yeah. And, and here's the best part. That same weekend, um, there was a gun shop in San Diego that was selling that actually had a special on Springfield XD40 service models with the holster, the mag pouch, and three mags. So not only did it, it was more like, come to the range. Why don't you buy this gun to come to the range? And I said, all right, let's do it. Bought a gun, waited 10 days, went to the range. It was perfect. So was that, I'm assuming that was your first firearm? That was my first firearm, yep. Springfield XT40. Ugh, I, I feel sorry <laughs> for you. Do you still have it? I have it somewhere in the safe. It's kind of like in the bottom of my safe with all the rest of the guns I don't shoot anymore that just serves as weights for the safe. Right, yeah, so so it's less likely to be stolen, right? I mean, they might look at the bottom of that safe and like, why is there like a Skittles bag of just guns down there? And I'm like, I mean, you, you can have any one of these. I really don't care. I don't use them anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Just, yeah. They're taking up space. You need to offload them, right? <laughs> true, true. So you shot your first IDPA match. How long did it take you to go from IDPA to shooting USPSA? Wow. Okay. So we're bringing back some history here. Um, I do remember that I started shooting IDPA on and off at around, I want to say like 2011, 2012. I was just kind of like the weekend warrior guy. Like, Hey, uh, friends got a match. Let's go. 
And then from the years going on from 2012 to 2013, that's when I started getting a little bit more serious in IDPA. Serious meaning I'm going to try and dry fire a little bit and maybe shoot one extra match a month and go to the local um, local level threes in Arizona and up in California State Championship. And I think I took the plunge in USPSA right around 2014. God, it's been that long, 2014, 2015. So I took that plunge and I kind of left IDPA as a, what was it, an expert, expert ESP shooter, enhanced service pistol shooter. Never really got to master and just thought, hey, I, I like those guys over there. They shoot a lot more bullets and they have a lot more fun. I want to see what's going on over there. Yeah, you don't have to worry about your vest or, I mean, back in that day, you probably had to worry about cover calls and everything. So cover calls, dropping mags. I'm just like, wait. Oh, wait, I gotta, I gotta stow this. I gotta, I gotta stuff this mag in my belt somehow. Yep. Back then, yeah, so much bull crap you had to worry about that you don't really need to worry about now. It's all good, though. True, true. true. You're, you're in the good, you're in the good promised land of USPSA, where <laughs> this such thing is freestyle, freestyle, <laughs> endless freestyle. Yep. Unless, unless you're shooting Virginia count, and then it's sad face. And then you get IDPA vibes again, going like, why are we doing this? Why exactly are we doing this exactly? <laughs> because classifiers and standard stages. True. Yeah, that's right. Got to keep some limit on some people sometimes. Yeah, got to got to rein it back. So, um, did uh, you shot what production coming into USPSA then? No. So, like everyone else, I looked at my Springfield service model and looked at everyone else, going like, they got some cool guns over there, and kind of in between my transitionary period between IDPA and USPSA, I bought a CZ 75 single action only. So I shot ESP with that gun. And then when I jumped over to USPSA, I went instantly into limited for like two weeks until I bought my first CZ SP1 shadow. The first of many CZ (laughs) SP1 shadows. You have all of them. That's so. If you can't find an SPO one shadow, it's probably a John's house. <laughs> oh, it, it's actually my fault. I ended up <laughs> buying six of them. Yeah, I had six of them. <laughs> now, how many of those do you have left? Um, I have four. I have four. One's on each side of the bed. One is down in the safe. Another's under the couch, and one is in the car. But you don't have one on the toilet. No, those are the Glocks. Oh, those all are the right. Glocks. Yeah, yeah, those are the Glocks. Yeah. Well, I just have duct tape to the back, man. You're just like <laughs> big duct tape, boom, Glock 17 downstairs. I think a 34th of flashlights in my little toilet up here. I think I think there's another like 26 that's in the guest bedroom somewhere. <laughs> Wait, so why are you stealing Tony's gun? <laughs> first of all, first of all, the, my apprentice, Sir Tony Wong, would tell you that he has indoctrinated me into believing in the G26 more than I stole it from him. <laughs> I mean, you still haven't done crazy shit like Tony has with the G26. I shot his gun for a match or two. That was crazy <laughs> enough for me, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the last iteration was like the Glock 34 barrel out of it. Yep. We yep. shot that too. We did shoot that too. Right around the same time as blowing up his G26 with this double charge type group at the same time. Ooh, yeah. That was a wild summer. One crazy summer after another, right? Yeah. So you then you went into production with these shadows. Um, what made you really like the CZ platform? So there was really a, a time when I jumped in to USP, like right when I jumped in after those like 
two or three weeks, there was a shooter that was rolling off out of USPSA. Uh, his name was Dean Kai. And he was the local big wig production guy. And he had a bunch of tang foes. And at the time, I, it, it was literally in my face going, okay, you have this first shadow. I have two others. Or you can get this tank, this tank, fo top, uh, tank folio stock too as your option. And I really got sunk into those two because I was looking at the top guys at my range and they were either shooting Tangfos, uh, Talk Twos, or SP01 Shadows. And I had to make a decision and I somehow gravitated towards the CZ just because I heard or didn't have a full understanding back then as I do now. But when I asked them, hey, what about like trigger work and whatnot, how easy it is to work on these two guns, everyone pointed me to the CZ rather than the tank foes. That's the big reason why. It, was there a misconception about that a CZ was easier to work on than a tank foe? Well, funny enough, like um, when you work on the two platforms, like fundamentally they're, they're kind of the same in terms of principle. Like there's a disconnector, there's a sear cage, there's a trigger return spring and whatnot. What was really funny is I got a chance after I made my decision like weeks later to go to one, one another friend of mine who was working on stock twos and he taught me how to really work on the basics of CZs and, and tankos. In that, we had a bunch of hammers and a bunch of triggers and a bunch of disconnectors for tankos, specifically for the stock two. And when we built one, you can't necessarily take that disconnector that was for one stock two and put it to another one, just because the tolerances are so weird. Unlike a CZ, where you could pretty much work on one uh sp1 shadow take those parts out throw it into another sp1 shadow and it would pretty much work without any fitment required as long as it worked on the first one um, and that's kind of a kind of a weird thing about tank folios working working on them over the years and really reinforcing that part tank folios tolerances are a little bit awkward where like even if i were to take a bolo disconnector one of like the really special zero reset um for the tank foes and put them in like three different stock twos or three different extreme threes. One of them might work. The other two may not work at all. One of them might be dead. It's so painful to work on tank those for me. So I was kind of lucky to make that right decision. Mm -hmm. So if you were shooting a tank foe, you'd have to have one gun. You'd have to pretty much smith a whole gun and then smith a whole another gun without being able to swap parts. Pretty much. Pretty much. Oh, so yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. <laughs> That's unfortunate, but you're not shooting SPO one shadows anymore, are you? No, no. I have um, eight shadow twos. Yeah, eight shadow twos in the stable right now. Eight shadow twos. So you're saying is that you've crushed Robert by doubling your number of shadow twos? He looks up to me. He yeah. looks up to me. What you can do when you don't have children. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But he does, does. But does he have more reloading components than you? Ooh, that's a tough one, man. Like, okay, for those who don't know Robert Wyatt, that man is a quiet, gentle individual. And then when you walk into his house, he's like a very simple guy. And you go into the basement and you turn the dark corner and you have to go down like 25 yards into his like little alcove. If you were to spark something in that basement, I'm pretty sure you'll level the house with how much stuff is in there just stuff well yeah that's true that, that that that's 
don't don't do that people don't find robert's house and don't light it up <laughs> but he will shoot back at you with his like 150 power factor minor ammo oh yeah it'll go through everything yeah. the other thing is loud i didn't see that yeah <laughs> gotta we gotta fix that powder measure there buddy a couple clicks well i did break his table actually you broke his table I, I broke his table in his press. So that was, I, I, I don't, I like Robert and I somehow like met and we became really good friends off the bat. Mm-hmm. The fun part was I stayed over at his house for, for a match. And for whatever reason, like I didn't have components or I didn't have bullets or something. And I was like, Hey Robert, I need to load some ammo. So I'm in his basement in that room where the press is on this table and I'm looking at this table going like, this is the same table that you use in like high school that is really heavy, that's foldable, but it has like no balance whatsoever. And there's a there's a 650 that's plopped on it. Mm-hmm. And Robert being in, like being an ingenuitive individual, he has a bullet feeder on that 650. And it's homemade, like first 3D pressed, uh, 3D printed bullet feeder. So I'm cranking through the rounds, right? And I realized this table is not mounted or secured to the wall. So imagine banging through on a 650 and the 650 is like tilting back in your face. You got bullets flying everywhere. <laughs> Primers are going sideways. And I'm like, shit, Robert, like, what's going on here? <laughs> so Robert like runs in there going like, what the are you doing to my press? Yeah, so I, I definitely broke that table. But now, but now... <laughs> Since he has learned that a Filipino will break his shit, he has <laughs> properly secured the table to the wall. It'll never happen again by anybody. I just thought that was rule number one: table to wall. Like I, you'd expect, you'd expect more better out of a guy who does architecture. You know, like hey, you want to like put things together, but apparently not. Not reloading. He's an architect, not an engineer, so that might be why. Oh, yeah, that's true. He dreams up the work, but doesn't do the hard, hard work. <laughs> Wait, but the engineers really don't do work. They just, they just think they do the work too, though. So I mean, that's also true. It's a circle. It's a circular cycle. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, people who think they like they do things, but they never do anything. Mm-hmm. They only do like a quarter of the puzzle. So the engineer gives them the plan, and then you're like the architect's like, okay, now how do I make this not look like shit? <laughs> And then they give it to a guy from Home Depot to actually do the actual work going, like, hey, nail this to the wall. Perfect. <laughs> yep, exactly. That's so true. Sorry, Robert, but it is how it is. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> so, so, John, have you taken any, like, formal, like, training classes? Formal, formal, like, is that I paid for it? And that... longer than, like, an hour and on the range with somebody? Yeah, something um, like that, yeah. No. The only time I've actually trained with someone who was in the range was actually a couple weeks ago when JJ was in town I had an opportunity to be with JJ and a buddy of mine. And we trained on the range for a couple hours and I got to see a training regiment from him to my buddy that was already scheduling time with JJ. But before that, not really beyond like, um, like my friend who introduced me to CCWUSA, who is a trainer but he he more or less kind of like got get, got me in a row with like how to hold the gun, don't point it at anybody, and how to work the 180 side mm-hmm. of things, but not specifically to go through like techniques and advancement and whatnot. No one really. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you if you're talking that JJ was in town, so I'm assuming you're referring to Miles. Yes. Okay. I am. 
Okay. And if anyone doesn't know, John did a really good video with Miles on Tactical Hive on what, what was it like US was it on the 180 itself or was it like safety in USPSA? Yeah, we wanted to see he wanted to make some uh, safety videos in general for competition shooting and we saw that 180 safety rules is kind of like a big thing that's really hard to describe to people, especially like if you're new or like you have no idea what to look for. So that's the video that we did with Tactical Hive was um competition safety in the 180 was was the was the topic. Mhm. If you didn't know, I think I think Miles puts out like a video a day it almost seems like or every other day. It's like I always get a notification at some point throughout the day. Oh, it's crazy. Like Miles is doing things with Tactical Hive that's that's amazing in the shooting community because it's bringing in lots of information that's everywhere but also trying to like put it out so that's like palatable every day for like a couple minutes or a couple hours like you can read into it, listen to it and really kind of get get more information out there if you're a shooter. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And just adjustable bites and good form content that's not a bore or yeah. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if it's if it's not entertaining and doesn't sound good, no one watches it. Mm-hmm. So you're shooting with some Shadow Twos. I was really surprised because you're still running a Red Hill Tactical holster, even though everyone's like throwing those in the trash. <laughs> yeah, I I do. I would have to say my Red Hill my Red Hill Tactical holster was one of the original ones that Robert King worked on, <laughs> and it's really good. I think maybe over time when Red Hill kind of expanded a little bit. Um, I can see where the quality has kind of, you know, kind of, kind of got there in the middle, mm-hmm. but every Kydex holster is Kydex holster, uh, unless you're Leif, because he works on it himself. So uh, another good holster company that I'm looking at potentially is GX holster with, with Leif over in area five. He's a really good guy. He does it all by hand and he's kind of maintained a high quality Kydex holster that I, I would buy if mm-hmm. I had an option. Yeah. Well, and it, yeah, Leif's a good dude. He definitely makes a quality holster. Uh, you do wait for your purchase, but it's worth the wait. Fit the finish, uh, the lock, the lock mechanism is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have a blade tech kind of, and the red hill kind of on deck, and I use the blade tech for a couple weeks. And holy crap, man, that that blade tech is way too flimsy. It bends. It doesn't. It doesn't do what a bucket should really do. So I can't can't wait till uh, get get my order in with Leif. Mm-hmm. Or or just uh buy one. Well, I don't know. Not that one necessarily true. You just find, hopefully you can buy those buy sell and trades. Ooh, Shadow Two holster. <laughs> you know how rare my holster is going to be. I mean, can you find a left-handed Shadow Two holster in the country? Probably not. <laughs> I know there's one in Utah. There's one guy. There there's one, one guy. guy. There's one guy that I might have to like chop his legs or something, <laughs> and I might be able to get it. <laughs> That's true. That 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 is kind of true. Sorry, Robert. You have no holster now. all oh, good though so um all right is, do you have any you were you were shooting production for a while are you having any plans to return back to production oof if production 15 becomes a thing i'll be back i'll be back now Till then probably not <laughs> well that's true so why why do you why would it have to be production 15 well looking at it from like the gamesmanship production and limited are very like similar divisions where production limited you could as a production shooter chasing limited was always the goal mm-hmm. as like a benchmark and with if they made production 15 a thing it would expand on the possibilities of what you can do with production like before we had to reload between every array or port or two ports 
Mm. With 15, then it's like, I only maybe need to reload once during the stage, a good reload. And if I'm good with my irons, then I could probably be not on par with optics, but I'll definitely be on par with limited in terms of like the gamesmanship of everything. It mm. brings it that, that much closer, which makes it more far more exciting. It does. Now, would you think that you could do it has does it have to be production 15 or could we say fit the box stuff as many bullets in that magazine as it fits with oh if box. that happens oh if that happens i'm in if that happens i'm in <laughs> now would do you think doing that would kill limited Oof. i think at this point man like we are at a weird spot with with the way that the industry is going that limited in production are kind of it's on it's on life support anyways Mm-hmm. And I think that might be the nail in the coffin if we think about it from a kind of a new shooter perspective. If they could literally take their gun out from wherever they bought it from, stuff it all the way to the brim and not worry about like which division I belong to, just like, hey, go and have fun. That would definitely, I think, might kill off Limited. Mm-hmm. But there will always be those diehard people reloading 40 because they just want to shoot. They have 40 gu- They have Limited guns. So I mean, you spend that kind of money, man. Like, can you spend that kind of money? Mm-hmm. I can see why. I can yeah. see why. Well, that's true. I mean, just like like tax sports, it takes it takes a dying breed to like a tax sport. Yeah, that's also true. I have one of those. I don't think I've used it in like years. Just scavenge parts off of it. It'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> if I could find it, it's somewhere in there. I I don't know where it is why you put air tags on everything that would be really expensive yes it would yeah it would be but then you know where everything is though <laughs> yeah but then like my safe is going to be like a radio beacon to apple at that point can you imagine the amplification of all those apple tags in there i guess so because yeah yeah they'd be like holy shit why does someone have this <laughs> many apple tags <laughs> yeah that is interesting so yeah, because someone asked if you would return to production, but that's a good answer. I think, I think something needs to be done with production to make it more viable, because no one really likes ten rounds. I mean, it really makes interesting stage planning, but from like a like a, an official, you know, like an from an RO standpoint, you're counting to ten or eleven rounds, making sure you know. If we just didn't have to count, it would be fine too. Like, yeah, that's true. I mean, I wish they just called it like. I wish they like merge the division into like classic division or something or limited class or whatever it is that you don't have to as an R like thinking from a CRO, like how terrible would it be to try to count to 15 when you're worried about all these other things to be worried about footfalls, position, muzzle, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now I've got to count along the way. It's like my concern as an RSO primarily is to make sure you stay in the shooting area and you don't point the gun out at anyone else other than legally downrange. Mm-hmm. Like once we're, once we're past that, we're good. Yeah. Well, yeah. And well, and that's when you, especially if you're on a stage, like in a major match, like a level three, when you're going to have plenty of people on the stage, right? You got your guy running the tablet. He might, he's looking for foot faults and whatnot. You got the guy running the timer, making sure the muzzle's down range. Then you got the third guy who's like, well, what is your job? I guess count rounds for production. Count rounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah. So I don't know. Product, there needs to be something done. Production mixed with single stack, maybe with limited 10. Fuck, you even put limited in there. I don't care. Pick yeah, just, like, just throw it all in there. Make it like irons only. An irons only division, we'll call it. Yeah. 
yeah, it could work. We'll have to figure it out. But I th- there's some validity to it because when you look at major mass participation, no one like there's some limited shooters, but not enough to to warrant it. Oh man, like I want to know from those guys who actually have limited guns, like who put who bought into the division, if they were to allow a dot to be milled on your guns because most limited shooters they have two they bought two of them Mm -hmm. so what if you're allowed to just mill a dot or a plate system on there so you can have your irons if you want to but let's make limited with the dot because that's where the direction is like i wonder what those limited invested shooters will do would they jump into it or would they go into carry optics instead Ooh, that depends. Well, if they're already invested in like a like a limited gun, probably most like a 2011 platform. Most of them are in 40, so then they'll have to get rebarreled, and then you sure. put a dot on it because they're not going to shoot 40 out of a slide ride. Because I think they'd be chewing up dots faster than old Seymours. <laughs> but you know, our good buddy Sonny Morton, over in area area eight, he shoots limited, or sorry, he shoots production in 40. 40 minor okay well i mean it 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 works especially if it's if it's a do-all gun like this you can shoot limited with it or you can shoot production with it or it's just a duty gun so i guess it kind of makes sense yeah i remember back in the day this is when i first got into the sport uh what, what show was it? it was on youtube the hit factor show no the power of, i don't know some guys from or like washington state right and this one guy loved shooting glock 40s he built an, a glock 40 open gun uh and it was right when carry optics kind of rolled out as a provisional division mm-hmm. so and that was kind of cool but i mean i can understand somebody who's that invested in a caliber to just be like screw it i don't care if i get like limited on something it's just what i want to do right now, now I'm actually curious because now you're trying I to find him. Yeah, <laughs> let me see if I can find him. So, well, some yeah. dude in like Washington State, huh? It was like three of them. It was like, yep, the Power Factor show. That's what it was. And they they ran for like six years, like of doing like YouTube and like podcast stuff. But um, and then they stopped. It made me sad. Oh, what happened? They just decided to stop doing. It, it was like a group of three or four dudes doing it. So. It was kind of cool. If anyone wants to really look into some nostalgia, Power Factor show. Dude, the guns they got on there is nostalgia for sure. I mean, jeez. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Yeah. So a lot of people asked about your magical sweater. So I need to know about this sweater. Does it give you speed? Oh, the hoodie. Mm-hmm. The hoodie. So this is very strange for people who do know me, the fact that they could actually see skin on my arms. But you know how it is when you're on the range. Like, there's people that would randomly come up to me, like in public, and I would have to do this to them. I would have to do this and then do this to kind of like <laughs> see the eyes and ears to figure out, like, who are you again? Mm-hmm. Um, so for people who know me, they see me on the range anywhere in the country, and I will have a hoodie on. And it doesn't matter what weather it is. So how that came to be was, uh, it was kind of a joke, really. So one of my friends, he's from, he's, from, he's from Syria. And I asked him about, like, about the Muslim culture and trying to understand a little bit more about him. And I was like, why do you guys wear, like, long 
like why do the women wear black and long dresses and you, you go to the cultural thing i'm like don't you guys like like die in the heat and it's like no man it actually helps when your body's fully covered so then i'm like thinking wait if i cover my body what will that do if i'm in like southern california heat during the summer like will that actually help so when i started shooting i just kind of kept my hoodie on it was like cold in the morning and it would get hot in the afternoon but i never actually took it off and over time like i just never took off the hoodie and i've noticed people complaining more about the heat then i realized that hoodie has basically made me a glorified gator cooler where the sun is always blocked like there's a thin layer of sweat that's like on my skin and on the t-shirts underneath and all i need is like a breeze to come on by and then that heat trap layer between my skin my shirt and the hoodie kind of goes away so like i'm a walking gator cooler man and it protects me against the sun so that's why i love that hoodie yeah now does that is that hoodie in particular or do you swap hoodies so i have 24 hoodies i think and that's the longest one that's currently in service so i have to retire that particular hoodie at the end of the year but i do have 23 others from the same company that's ready to go when I need to. <laughs> now, now, how many matches do you think are on that one hoodie? Oh, God. I'm talking about COVID, man. <laughs> so, I don't know. Twenty. There might be... That might be around 70 matches in that hoodie in a span of three years. Like, to... that, that hoodie was black, by the mm-hmm. way. Yeah. <laughs> Jet black. I think it's time to get it put in a shadow box. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. I need to frame it actually. There you go. But yeah, that that makes sense though. You know, because everyone tries to keep the sun off their skin. They're wearing like the t-shirt and like the arm gaiters and the the high socks. It it, it makes sense. You just wear pants and a hoodie. Exactly. You, you, everyone's got one. Just yeah. throw it on. It's well, fine. especially when you ever like you take it off like after the first stage because oh now I'm warm now and then you're like yeah, no. That makes sense though. So what is your so you what is your training schedule like? Right now, my <laughs> training schedule is I'll drive I have a drive for a call with a buddy, a couple buddies of mine, um, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And it's kind of like a dual dry fire session. Talk about shooting, talk about life, talk about whatever politics going on, the shenanigans of USPSA, but that's more of a hard deadline drive fire that I have. And then I'll mix it in with Tuesday, Thursdays. I'll also drive fire for about 30 minutes to an hour max. Anything beyond that's kind of rough. Um, and then my local matches, the locals, I call them local practices. Practices. I'll shoot those. I have the SoCal scene is you could practically shoot Saturdays and Sundays every week. So on heavy days before majors, I'll shoot Saturday and Sunday um, at a local, local practice, as I call them. So mm-hmm. I'm doing something every day of the week. Now, do you go out? Do you only go practice at these locals or will you actually go and have like a live fire session sometimes too? So here's the fun part. Being in SoCal, we don't have the gift like a lot of you guys back East do of being able to get in your car, drive 30 minutes to your local range and set up whatever you want. So really for the past like seven years I've been shooting or six years I've been shooting USPSA, I've had maybe count my hands and my toes 
time on the range during midweek. Everything else has been either the weekend local practices or dry fire that happens midweek. After that, I really don't have any live fire. Nowadays, I'll, I'll have the opportunity, I do have opportunities to make some um, live fire midweek, but that's only happened within the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Is it just due to the your schedule or is it more of like the range isn't available at that point? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, talking to some people over in like area six, some of you guys in area five. Like once you get out of work at like four o'clock or five o'clock, you can hit the range for 30 minutes with like no intrusion. Just get on the range, pop 50 rounds and be done with it. Like I wish I can do that. But in, here in SoCal, there's only in San Diego in particular, there is the indoor ranges that give a really good like way to just to shoot. But to do any legitimate practice, in my opinion, I don't have any availability to actually put something on a bay and go. There's nothing like that in SoCal midweek. Oh, that's a bummer. But okay, I understand that. Yeah, because you're in SoCal, and and you were as you were saying, you can shoot a match what every other day, every other weekend day. It seems no, like every, every every Saturday sa- Sunday, every Saturday Sunday. So how so? What's your radar like? Your radius of how? What's your closest match to you? Your farthest match. So in sunny San Diego, I'll shoot the Paula match, which is my local LDF club, and they host a second and fourth Sunday. That's about a 45-minute drive for me. Um, the Saturday matches can either be split between Prado Run and Gun, which is at the Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino, which is like an hour and a half away from central LA if you go uh, east, and that's about a two-and-a-half-hour drive. If I go to NRG, which is Norco Running Gun Club, which is held by Jojo Vidans, his range is kind of uh, 30 minutes away from that. So it's a three-hour drive to get to that range. Mm -hmm. Then there's uh, other local clubs like Swipple, which is a a buddy of mine who's in the kind of central northern LA area. And then there's one range I haven't been to, which is CTA, with the SoCal Practical Shooting Scene, which has just got under new management with Fujitan. And they hold their matches every third or second and fourth Saturday, but that's that's a heck of a long drive for me. So I, those are those two other matches a little more rare that I'll go to. Mm, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But yeah, you, you're kind of like us, where it's kind of spread out. You know, you're, it's not like there's four clubs and then a half hour. It's all like, yep, you got a close one, and then you're like, got to drive. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, a little carpooling. Yeah, well, I guess it doesn't help in San Diego because your 45 minutes could be 20 miles <laughs> due to traffic. <laughs> it's not bad. Like, San Diego traffic is not bad, but it's like that just L.A. in general is the worst thing on Earth. It's like Atlanta, Georgia and that circle of death <laughs> that I fly over once in a while or Dallas, Texas, when you got the same circle and you see the traffic of no end in there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, yeah, I don't like that. I'm lucky enough where it's kind of just straight shots everywhere, but it's, for Four. me, my, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> Still an hour drive to get to the range, which sucks. But it's the best range around. I'm okay with this. You got a good range, man. You got a good range, good club, good management, good people over there. You guys are lucky. As much yeah. as we're lucky in SoCal, that kind of the same thing, good we got a good crew of people, like a lot of unsung heroes on that range that really make that match tick, which not a lot of people realize, I don't think. 
Mm -hmm. So you're coming back next year, right? Oh yeah, dude. I have, I have to redeem myself of the garbage performance that was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you still beat Robert. So that's okay. I think, I think it was more of, he melted down so hard after like the first three stages Oh my god! I gotta send you like we were trying to do this like two Mormon brothers podcast, and <laughs> I was like recording like little tidbits of progression through the match. One of my videos is like Robert after shooting a stage just turns around and beelines it to his bag, and then he takes his ear protection off to put on two earbuds on top, and I'm like, Robert is not Robert's no good right now. <laughs> Robert's no good. <laughs> I come up to him and he's got T Swift like on blast where I can hear it through his headphones as I'm approaching towards him. <laughs> that must have been in an unsafe listening condition. <laughs> I think he was really mad, man. I think yeah. he was kind of mad or it didn't matter. <laughs> well, I guess that's better than uh, leaving the match early, right? You know, I'd rather. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's like, well, you calm down to taste wheezy. Well, thank you, everyone, for making it this far in the episode with John Batista. I greatly appreciate it, and I just needed to pop in here and let you know that we have some awesome sponsors of Manny Talk Shooting. Um, I want to formally invite you and tell you that we now have a discount code for Dominate Defense um, for their Mach 1 speed belts. So if you have been thinking about pulling the plug on getting the best belt in competition shooting for USPSA, you need to go get it. Stop what you're doing. Type it in dominatedefense.com. Buy yourself a Mach 1 speed belt combo and use the code Manny Talks 10. That's right. Manny Talks 10. M A N N Y T A L K S 1 0 for Manny Talks 10. So go check them out and you won't be disappointed and you'll be glad that you did it. And tell them with using that code that Manny sent you. It's just a way for me show you some love and yo show you to show some love to dominate defense. So that's kind of awesome. Also, don't forget, we've got a code for div tech for the best 3d printed magnets on the market. You can go to DivTechShop.com, use Manny talk shooting for 10% off your complete order. So without further ado, let's get back to the show with Mr. John Batista. But yeah. So yeah, you'll have to come, but this, I guess is a good point of when Robert asked why, are you called Delta Force? Oh, Jesus. That's a story. <laughs> That's a story. All right. So if I'm not mistaken, this was 2018, Barry's Utah State Championship. And why don't you go on practice score? We'll, I'll, I'll go on the same time. You and I will go on a practice score competitor to look this up. But uh, it was 2018. Uh, Barry's U- 2018 Utah State Championship. And this is like, Two, I want to say two years after I, I left IDPA. So I left IDP 2014 and I just got my G card, like maybe a couple weeks before that. And there's a side progression on how that came to be in two years in USPSA. Anyways, um, I barely, I, I knew Robert from the 2017 nationals where we met for the first time. And that's where I was staying at his house. And that's when I broke his press or nearly <laughs> broke his table in his bedroom because I needed that bullets for the Utah state match. Mm-hmm. So uh, Robert recommended, Hey dude, sign up for the squad, just sign up for it. And I didn't know who was on it. 
until I went to the match and I was hooked up with uh, Bob Crow, Charlie Perez. Um, Billy Nix obviously was, was with Bob, always with Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kenny Terry. Kenny Terry is on the stage. So I got, I got those th- three G's in limited, like going to crush Utah State. And here I am with my black hoodie being the brownest person on that squad going like, hi guys, how's it going? <laughs> and um, I don't know what happened, dude. Like I shot the first stage and I just went balls to the wall after Robert described me who these people were. And <laughs> Charlie Perez looked at me going like, dang boy, you, know, you want to check those hits? <laughs> we go around. And I swear to God, I got like four or six Delta on the first stage that day. And then Charlie's like, got his hands crossed, looking and going like, Jesus, he's fast. And Bob Crow was, was looking at me going like, I don't know how you're doing this, but you're, you're making it happen right now. You haven't missed yet. So midway through the day, and we shot, I believe, all day, all day Friday, dude, I racked up like 12 Deltas in the first like half of the day and i was going as fast as bob and charlie i was just trying to keep up time with them and it was funny because charlie would go to the charlie or bob would go to the uh, the targets and they would yell out we got charlie Delta over here. <laughs> <laughs> and you would hear charlie walk to like the furthest target because he wants to see what the hell those hits are and all of a sudden you go like from like the end of the day and from that moment midway during the break charlie perez has blessed me with the name delta force because he couldn't believe how many shots that should have been mics that were somehow deltas and how many deltas i was just hitting because they were deltas (laughs) all day Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you walked away with 23 deltas on the match yeah, Tony, I think I have more Deltas than some people have Charlies, possibly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you did have the fastest raw time in uh, production, though. So, I mean, that's you, you. I mean, like you beat the production winner by like thirty plus seconds. I still came in third. That's how garbage I shot it, man. But dude, I had such a good time. I had such a good time shooting that match. Yeah, and only came away with five mics. And I think that's when the House of Speed was born. Yeah. Very early in the theory, but didn't go full house of speed until I met Tony Wong. Yeah. Outrunning. Can you outrun the scores is really what's going on. Exactly. Well, yeah. And there's, you can run, you, to a, to an extent, you can outrun bad hits. And even no hits. You can, you can, you can outrun them. Yeah, you, you can. If, if you're like trying to get up in the game, which is the funniest thing. Let, let's table the side. The top five cannot outrun their hits let's put it that way because those guys are running at like peak efficiency for what we know right now as like maximum efficiency as a shooter but anyone who's really coming up in the game that's like i want to say like a b or a class shooter like you know what you're doing you have like a decent regiment but for whatever reason you decide to shoot safe and think that's progress Mm mm-hmm and you'll never understand like the give and take of trying to go faster than you think you could before to see what you can do with that speed. And that's kind of one of the essences of like 
Tony and I's little theory about the house of speed. It's like people have this big thing about they want to shoot well, but their progression is so slow because of this, because of the, the, the shackles we call, I call it the mm-hmm. mental shackles they put on themselves and speed is one of them. Like one, one of them is a critical sense of speed. Yeah. And even like, and I'm probably meaning you're probably meaning in the speed of shooting, the speed of reloading, the speed of running, you know, everything at max speed. Oh yeah. But let's even take something a little more simpler. Your gun is loaded. Let's mm-hmm. just take the simple essence of your gun is completely loaded. You can engage targets. It's that particular point in time when your gun is loaded, people choose to shoot slow mm-hmm. and slower because they want to get their hits, but without necessarily understanding, like there is a hold speed bucket they're not even touching because you're too far concerned with your hits. And I'm and I'm talking for people who are in a more comparable level in shooting in general. I'm not talking about the D class who are doing this because Lord knows they're not safe yet. But <laughs> but but anyone who's like at that level, it's like okay, man, you're you're dry firing. You're starting to listen to different podcasts, watching Instagram looking at different instructors, taking a class from somebody, I think people just choose too much not to shoot fast. Just from that one part. Yeah, you're probably right. Well, yeah. They just don't want to shoot fast or they want to be, they're getting too comfortable as you put it as. It's like, yeah, you got to be able to throw the wheels off at some point and just let it rip, right? Or I'd say throw the wheels off completely all the way until you're almost to the borderline unsafe so you can actually understand what it means to be almost unwieldy like you you're just, you can barely hold on to your gun because mm-hmm. no one wants to touch that degree because they're too scared but you can in practice you can in the locals mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want to do but you just choose not to do it right now when you think about stage 13 from area five is that the one time you kind of put the house of speed to the side with the disaster factor that high so okay oh man so between you and I, and I know you're going out with this, it's like when you have stages that are high disaster factor, that's when you know what your max efficiency is for a certain target. So mm-hmm. if you break down every single target and isolate it on a one-by-one basis, like this is a target, 15 yards, skunk. If I were to give you that target in time in the world, going, I want you to shoot as fast as you can, eventually you'll figure out, okay, this is what I like. This is what I want. This is what I want. And at X speed is what I can do to get two alpha on it. But that's, if you were to take what I mentioned in terms of going as quickly as possible, until you do that, you won't know what that is. So Mm -hmm. everyone has this kind of misconception of their cadences per target. And they're kind of half guessing most of the time. And they're going off a feeling while most people who are like upper echelon they they probably can't describe it from like a mathematical standpoint, but in their mind, that cadence factor that they have, they know exactly what speed it takes to hit every given target individually for that stage. While people are still, for everyone else, people are still hunting for it. And they're kind of like, well, I hope I do this correctly instead of thinking about it from an isolated target by target by target basis going, like, I can do it. I can do it because I know what to do. Right. No, and I, I understand what you're saying, but... um. And I'm not trying to discredit the house of speed in that regard because because at some point there are those stages like 13 where you're like, uh, okay, it's a bunch of mics or a bunch of no shoots. <laughs> hey, you never know. <laughs> well, the better question is, did you beat Max Michelle on that stage? 
You know what? I, I think um, anyone who, who, who thought about signing up would have beat Max Michelle on that stage, really. <laughs> Probably. That was a terrible stage for him. Terrible. That, that, now I'm really honestly curious on how many people zeroed that stage. You know, I'll look too. I got to see for myself. That was a rough one for a lot of people. Do, 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 scrolling. Sorry, listeners, but you have to say, oh, 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 God. Yeah, I forgot there's more shoes. Well, for, for, as we're loading this thing up, so there was something we're talk- we talked about on the side, on a couple side chats. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of interested to understand what is the optimal feet per second for a SIG X5? Because a lot of guns have an ideal feet per second in terms of the bullet going down the barrel. Like every rifle, every major rifle has this. Any right. curious shooter will tell you, like, my rifle likes X. What does each gun like in terms of feet per second? Because when you look at the chronograph, some dudes are running, like, subsonic, sub-subsonic ammunition and skating on by on the power factor scale. Like, they're legal, mm-hmm. but from a gun efficiency standpoint, is that the best speed for that bullet for that gun? That's what I want to know. Did Was that the thing that hurt him? Max Michelle, I mean. Was that yeah. the thing that hurt him? That's a good question. Oh, because you're talking about because I think Robert brought the or someone brought this up. I think it was Robert. But depending on how high your uh, classification was, is uh, how low your uh, your uh, power factor was on your gun. Oh, it's inverted. It's totally inverted, dude. Mm-hmm. And oh my god, please don't. Oh man, I hope no one catches on to this because it's a thing, dude, mm-hmm. for people to like do um, gear chasing. Well, they'll chase that power factor to the nth degree. When they're pretty crappy at shooting anyways like it doesn't matter what bullet goes through your gun like you're not that good just focus on the shooting first right yeah and make sure you can pass chrono i mean passing chrono. and the answer was 40 people zeroed that stage out of 287 that is rough yeah there's no bueno well as we flip as i flip through the people itself i mean you got one M, you got a sub sub minor co shooter, uh, sorry, care optic shooter M that zeroed it again, probably because his bullets were sub minor, you know, not going through the gun properly. That's probably why he went down. And do you um, know he's a buddy of mine, and he his first stage was chrono. Yo, that's rough. If you were, if you went sub minor at a match like that, would you shoot the match if you started on oh. chrono? Dude, if I if I got sub minor in a match and that was the first thing, I would go eight crazy on that area match as much as I could. Like I would try to break all the speed records. Like there's no way a PCC was gonna get me on time that day. I would try as hard as I could just to have fun. Yeah. That that would be kind of fun. Oh, that was rough. That's mm-hmm. rough. That's your buddy, huh? Yeah. Trying to scroll this chrono. What did it say? 124. Oh, oh my God. 115s or 114.9s? Yeah. Oh. Was it plated bullets? Is that what happened? Uh, I think they were plated bullets. <sighs> Sorry, bro. Not even 115.5 would save him. That's rough. 
124.7. Dang. You know what powder he was using? Um, no, but I can tell you the uh, manufacturer of those, that ammunition uh, after we're done here. Okay, Andy, I got it. We will not yeah. speak in public <laughs> of this, but that sucks. I'm sorry, bro. Yeah. I'm very sorry. <laughs> but he shot the whole match and he had fun. And luckily enough, he was our last shooter on our on. He was the last shooter of our last squad. So I was like, "Cool, I don't even have to paste for this. Let's go." I mean, he looked like he had fun, man. I'm I am very happy for him. I mean, that's probably the one instance that was kind of forced upon him, where there was absolutely no pressure whatsoever that he could just go for it. Yeah, like there was no worry in the world. And what's really hilarious. That's the mentality that I search for every time I shoot. Mm -hmm. Like not nervous, not scared, not amped up, not too crazy. Just even keel with a little bit of confidence. Kind of like if I got DQ'd at the match because I went sub minor, but I just got to shoot it just because. Yeah. No pressure. Yeah, that no pressure would kind of be nice. Just, just go, go let it rip. Oh, he definitely had fun. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. I mean, that's how, that's all why we do this is for fun, right? We're we are competitive nature. We're all kind of type A at some in some aspect, but we all just want to have fun. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Until we start training with me, then I become kind of a, a little bit more of a Nazi than Robert does. Yeah. And I get really analytical over stuff. But that's a great. That's a great little segue. How many dots of yours has Robert broken? We're going with the stories today, bro. Um, all right. So, so uh, <laughs> Carry Optics was a provisional division in 2015. I didn't get into it until like 2016, 2017 or so. And I went through, me personally, a number of dots. And I'll give you the final number at the end of this. But at Nationals, at SUPS for Carry Optics, imagine showing up before the match so i think this was like a, a thursday or i think it was a thursday probably thursday and we're at the uh, test bay which is like around the corner from the ven the vendors where subs was and it's like it's a little it's a little bit of a like a 50 yard run, 50 yard walk and then it's like in inside behind the the vendors so robert and i we walk up and we see the super squad kind of roll through do their tests and whatnot they just happen to be there walking stages and I go up there, and at the time, I had a slide. I had a light and slide that was done by CZ Custom. Thank you, Stu, for getting that done super, super quick. Love you guys. Uh, so we start test firing the gun, and I'm like, I'm feeling good. I'm hitting exactly where I want to hit. Everything's fine. And then I decide to go, hey, Robert, why don't you shoot it just in case? I just want to see, you know, third third-party hand, see through my gun, see if it works. So Robert goes up there. He's, you know, happy as a clam. Oh, yeah, I got this. Do, do, do. Bang, bang. It's going quiet for like 10 seconds. I'm like, Robert, what, what happened? I can't find your dot. I'm like, what? I, I, I don't see the dot at all. Excuse you? Give me that gun. I get it, I rack it. I can't see the dot anymore. So I'm clicking through the dot, trying to figure out like what the F is going on. I go through, dot's dead. Dot's completely dead. Put a new battery in, dot is gone. Go to the backup gun. 
do the same thing. Plug, 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 plug. Everything's fine. And it's a Robert. Bang, bang, bang. Your dot is loose. <laughs> that was the first day. So, so imagine you're on right before nationals and you're trying to find out, does anyone have any blue Loctite? I'm texting everyone. No one's got blue Loctite for whatever reason. No one has, like everyone has red. I don't use it. So I go to like Home Depot, I get their blue Loctite. And then somehow like mid call, I get information that a buddy of mine has two extra slides that he's not using. So I plug them in there. I use them. So I shoot the match with his stuff. Everything goes okay. So around day two, and I'm about to test fire again. And I shoot. Bang, 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 bang. Everything's fine. I hand it to Robert. He goes bang, bang, bang. Dot's dead again. <laughs> this son of a bitch <laughs> breaks my two slides, breaks another guy's slide. So I'm in the match with like like another like three people. I'm on like my third person slide. I got my other's buddy's slide, which I broke his dot. So in total for 2017, I've broken 11. Robert has attributed to three of those deaths off of three different platforms too. We're not talking the same platform. Mm-hmm. He broke multiple dots with multiple companies, and I've broken 11 already. Oof, that's 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 rough. That's a lot of dots. No one was safe in 2017, man. I went mm-hmm. through every manufacturer. Matter of fact, like I'm on, when I call one of them, they know me by name. Like they just know like my information. They're like, we'll get it to you a couple mm-hmm. days. No problem. You just say, hey, it's Delta Force. <laughs> <laughs> I think he saw the Carl ID going like, who is this asshole in, in San Diego calling again? Why? What is he doing to our products? Well, you ship them back, and they're like, "Oh, they, they died." Well, it it kind of reminds me of Area Four slash um, what was it Georgia State? <laughs> you guys happened to fix you, those dots came loose on that match too. Oh my goodness! So, first of all, if anyone's out there who's thinking about planning a match, the best thing ever, which we're going to do this year, mm-hmm. I try to find matches that I can shoot on the same weekend in two different states. Like if there's a, if there's an area match and a state match, and they can happen on the same weekend, I'll do it. Like in this case, we're going to be flying out to um, the Atomic Blast and the Carolina Classic, so Tennessee, Tennessee State, and North Carolina over in Salisbury. Um, that's going to happen on the second week of September. It's going to be fantastic because they're so close. It's a drive across the lane. Anyways, Georgia State Area Four. We shoot Area Four with uh, with Blanton and th- that whole crew, and it was a great time. Mm-hmm. And we're on the high of the weekend, right? We just shot Area Four. We got ourselves some uh, some cream soda, some ice cream, and we're having a great time. Uh, we go off into uh, Georgia State, and we notice Robert notices that, like, dude, like somehow in like the eighth stage of the day, we shot uh george state all day like somehow the ace of the day like the dot was getting loose again like what the hell and i'm like dude that's you that's not mm-hmm. me and of course i curse him right and mm-hmm. so let the mormon gods be the mormon gods but they strike my gun immediately afterwards i shoot the stage and i'm just like i'm hearing like a little rattle i don't i'm not sure what it is i'm still hitting still hitting afterwards as i unload to clear and stick in the holster i hear this 
Dot came loose. So on the same stage, both of us are looking at each other going like, shit, our dots are loose. Our dots are loose. We start asking the RO like, hey, do you guys got anything? And I forgot the RO name. I forgot who it was, but bless your heart and thank you very much. He was an RO of the stage and in his truck, he had Vibratite, I think, on him. So before the last stage, you see Robert, me, RO on the safety table and you got two shadow twos with the plates off screws everywhere vibratite we're trying to like clean off the screws as best as possible with the tools we got to make them better Mm -hmm. and we literally cinch as hard as we can those two dots and shoot the last stage that was rough dude that was rough (laughs) so how was the return to zero on those it was perfect right on it was dead perfect like the SRO system on a Shadow 2 Optics Ready, if you, for whatever reason, and I have another situation where the dot, the dot mounting screw sheared off because I didn't have any maintenance schedule on it. Um, after a buddy of mine stripped the screw that was stuck in the plate, and at the same time, we, when Robert and I put this, the, those optics back on after the stage, they held on to zero perfectly. Hmm pretty nice i think it's because the sros i think it's because the sros are good i mean yeah they, they do last for a while I, I was thinking about putting an sro on my open gun but then i talked myself out of it what'd you get uh i went with the rts2 for the open gun oh rts2 is good well RTS2 the nice thing nice. is i can get a nice big 8 moa dot big dots are good so we talked about that a little bit. Um, a friend of mine was kind of the same boat, except he had a Seymour and four MOA, mm-hmm. but he had that thing cranked up all the way. So then when I got him to get into uh, another Seymour that was an eight MOA, but dial it down where it wasn't blooming on you, but just enough where like the dot is clean, but bright enough. That was the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. I wish the SRO was, a, was at least an eight MOA so I could do exactly that. Don't yeah. let it bloom but let it be bright enough, but it's still a perfect circle. Right, yeah. That's how my SRO is now on my carry optics gun, is it's not that bright. It's bright enough to see, but it's not too bright where it's bloomy. And my astigmatism is horrible as it is. So I've really got to work my correct... I can't shoot... Well, honestly, I I can't see without my lenses, so I really shouldn't even... I I shouldn't even shoot without lenses either. But it is what it is. But yeah, I went with an eight M away. But I'm gonna yeah, I don't I don't turn my dot all the way up. The people who do that, I don't quite understand because it kind of I could honestly see where it um, attributes to uh, a dot focus instead of a target focus if you've got the oh, dot too bright, which is nuts. Which is mm-hmm. absolutely nuts. Yeah. Um, I I don't understand that part. Like, why would you want to stare at the dot all day long? It's like you're having an optic for a reason. Why did you want to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, the funny thing is, uh, a buddy of mine. Uh, for, we were talking about this. He has astigmatism too. And he went through reverse way. He actually got a smaller MOA dot, like a two MOA, mm-hmm. but he cranks it all the way up. So his stigmatism kind of like the way his stigmatism works, the, the, the bloom allows him to see it a little bit better, but it doesn't like cover everything, mm-hmm. I guess. It's not crazy in his eyes. Right. Now for me, like if you look at a, a one MOA SRO or an RMR, I can't even see the dot. Even if it's like really bright, it, I, it's like my eyes can't pick up that one MOA. Oh, 
Okay. But it's, it's just everyone's eyes are different though. And that's that's my thing. It's like someone will be like, but you got to get the one MOA. I'm like, no, it's not worth me to be struggling to find the dot in the first place. <laughs> I didn't even see it. <laughs> yeah. So I'll just shoot with these irons, right? Because no one said you had to turn the dot on and carry optics. You just have to have an optical sight mounted to the slide. Mounted, right. Like all you need is like a window and that's it. You could have like a CNC window and that's all. Yep. Yeah. But um, so I did get one more question from Mr. Uh, Brian Levy um, about Area 4. Okay. Will his 1,000 lumen flashlight be good enough for food pictures? You, you know, it, it might actually, depending on how dark of a restaurant you go to in uh, poor old Tulsa, Oklahoma, because I swear to God, what's going to happen is we're going to be at this nice, old, good old restaurant. And then I got Levy, Blanton, Yee, Robert, and there's maybe 7,000 lumens hitting that table just so I can get a proper food picture. It might be enough. It just might be enough. How many people make fun of you for taking food pictures? You know what? I think I think they, I think everyone does for a little while. And then it's like, yeah, hey, do you remember that one restaurant we ate last year? And they end up asking me for the geolocation so they can eat there again. <laughs> oh, so there you go. That's 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 warranted then, right? I am the archive, mm -hmm. I guess. I'm the archive of eats. Right. Well, you just scroll through your phone and then it shows you the location of where the I mean, that's the power of an iPhone. It, it stalks you enough to know where you're at at all times, no matter what. <laughs> Oh God, that's true. It has helped out a bunch of times though. I have to be honest, like remembering where in Kentucky I went to eat because they had this like flight of bourbon that I couldn't remember what was on the menu. And I figured it out mm -hmm. from that alone. Okay. So, you know, it saves you sometimes, right? Just a little bit. Right. So we are getting near the end of our time together, which is not a bad deal. Um, but there was a couple more questions I want to hit. Sure. Um, what drills, um, live fire and dry fire, um, do you think will get people get the most bang for their buck out of? Live fire and dry fire. So this is going to be more relevant to anyone who's been seasoned in USPSA for at least a year or IDPA, take your pick. I mean, you're not, you got your gear figured out at a minimum. You're shooting one gun regularly that you're that you go to. Um, a drill that would really help out is start to stand away from standing and shooting and standing and reloading. That's probably one of the biggest things. Um, you can actually do if you take like the accelerator drill, for example, and start to stand away from the shooting area and having to get into the quote-unquote shooting area and perform the accelerator drill, that's probably one of the best drills that you can get into to figure a lot of stuff out. After that, I would say, ooh, man. I do like the doubles drill to a point, but when you're just standing and shooting rounds and, and like stopping the doubles, it doesn't make sense. That's why I love that accelerator drill because it's pretty much the same process. Um, yeah, I mean, I would just say stop standing still and dry firing. That's probably the biggest one. If you take any drill you got, having to move off the X to get into the shooting area, you're going to get 10 times more bang for the buck than standing and drawing and reloading. That's my thing. I'd agree. 
Yeah, because a lot of people they can hose and burn on like standard stages and you know stand and shoots, right? But when it starts to getting into like a field course, they have issues with movement and shooting on the move because they're so used to static work. Here's one. Here's a simple one that requires a little creativity from anyone who's listening. So in your local area match or whatever match you've been to, there's probably one or two positions that was really that really tested you for whatever reason, mentally, physically, you weren't there, you just weren't there to execute properly. But if you can take the essence of that shooting position and somehow morph it into dry fire or live fire in your next practice and start attacking on what you hate instead of thinking from a drill perspective, that's probably another really good way to accelerate deliberately in areas where you suck and you know you suck. Because after a stage, like you would stand there going, man, that was terrible for various reasons. Like either I was, in, I was checked out or whatever, but if you could find a stage or a situation that you were there mentally at minimum, but you could not execute for whatever reason, a failure in the grip, trigger pull, sight, you were not indexed properly, body position was terrible, whatever reason. If you could practice that the next day or at the next practice and keep going at that way for perpetuity, you'll start to find a lot better shooting. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when you take those uh, those downsides, those negatives, the bad performances, and you turn them into a strength, yeah, you're just going to leaps and bounds above what you were doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So shoot tuxes at 30 yards with bobbing poppers. I mean, those, those are rare, man. Like, y'all, y'all put some weird... You go put some like really random, like, oh, that's cool. I've only seen that in like Russia, but <laughs> now it's here on home soil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of cool. I I would like to see the swing because Area Three had swinging steel. That was kind of cool. Dude, I can't wait for that to be a regular thing. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for that to be a regular thing to expose people with paper. Oh yeah. Yeah, I I will. That'd be it'd be beneficial. We might have one. I'll I'll see if I can get one for next year. Please, bunnies like a little twofer, mm-hmm. like behind like behind a little like true Russia style, or like it's just like it does this to you, like it just does this to you every time you miss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, hey, hey. <laughs> I like that. We can make that happen. That'd be cool. That would be really be cool. Um. So John, um, throughout your whole shooting, like. Um, who have been some people who've really like supported you or kind of helped you, you know, helped uh, mentor you? Ooh, man. Mentorship. I would say it's more of a, more of like a working collaboration with people over the years. So my whole thing about how I've like accelerated is more or less no different than a little kid watching michael jordan back in like the 90s you try to emulate that person so for me it's more or less with information technology i would constantly be viewing videos of the best Mm -hmm. in every division and trying to figure out what what are the good things that person does and try to understand like the different physicality differences like if he's tall or short or if he's got like more muscular, less muscular, try to understand like characteristically what makes him good and why does he do it well. So more or less watching people was was the biggest thing. 
So in my local area, we had the gift of a lot of people who were very unique in their certain skill sets, but they were very good at one thing. Either one guy was really good at shooting, another guy was really good at running. Um, but one big, one person that was really kind of changed the game for a little bit for me was actually fucking Tony. Like Tony Wong was like probably one of the first people in a while that like we sat down and actually talked shop at the, more of like where I'm at, where I'm at today and really challenge each other mentally. And like, why do you do this? Like, why does this make sense? Why is this theoretically good? So if you could find that person that could really question your game and to the point where he's almost like attacking you personally, but he means it in a good way. Like those are the people you want to hang out with or try to get more information from because they want the best out of you. But after that, before that, I would say just trying to figure who the best is and trying to emulate them and try to pick up on what they do well is what's been the biggest thing for me, the mm. biggest cheat code. Wow. That is, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And yeah, and having those intellectual conversations that, you know, not taking it personally when he tries, you know, he's trying, because, you know, Tony, he's trying to decipher everything out of anyone's, whatever anyone's doing. Yeah. So, so that's really cool. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, do you have any official or some non-official sponsors that we need to, to give some credit to? A big supporter over the years has been Gallon Bullets. Like Eli in the Utah area, Gallon Bullets has been the one since 2017, 2018 that has helped me tremendously throughout my shooting career. Like those guys have supported me a lot and they've gone through a lot of struggles. They've gone through any, as anyone has had during COVID, but those guys have been the best. Um, in my local scene, the gun range in San Diego has also been a really big help. I mean, California, there's really no support out there. So I have a local range um, that's owned by a cop um, that's really helped me out, give me range time when I can. And also the dudes over there too. So it's more like a symbiosis relationship. They gave me range time and I try to, I haven't been there in a while, but I got to go back there and help those guys as much as possible and try to give them my knowledge to make every range dude in San Diego a better shooter. Like that's my own personal goal. It's like you, these guys shooting the range, but getting them to practice more effective rounds down range has always been my goal in, in terms of working with other people. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really cool. That's that's a good method. Meth methods. If I can talk now, my tongue's not working. But anyway, that's really that's a really good thing to be doing and giving back because I mean, without giving back, the sport kind of crumbles. So, yeah, yeah. Well, John, I really want to thank you for coming on. This has been fun. Um, we get to know a little more about you. Um, we get to pick on Robert some more because that's half of the fun of life is picking on Robert. That's true. He's trying to he's trying to convert me. Yeah. Every the next time I go to Utah, I swear to God, there's gonna be a Bible. There's gonna be a Bible right next to me. He's gonna be like, "Hey, John, let's go to church. <laughs> let's seal the deal." <laughs> it's a little too. It's like yeah, it's too real. It's no, it's Sundays for sleeping, Robert. Sunday for sleeping, Robert. He's like, he's out nowhere. He has a kiddie pool in the back. He has a kiddie pool in the back for me. <laughs> exactly. That's been awesome. Well, thank you, John, for coming on. It's been a real big blast and fun. Um, if listeners, I hope you listened and learned from this, uh, from John, and uh, been able to peel some information out of this conversation where we had fun and laughs. So, so listeners, I do thank you for listening. Until next time, get out and do things, and I will see you on the next one. <laughs>